welcome to the Countryside Kitchen Meats, a food and farming podcast. I'm Millie Fife, your host. I'm a mum of two, farmer's wife, food producer, and passionate about flying the flag for British food and farming. Today, I'll be chatting to butcher, curer, teacher, and consultant, Rich Summers. Then I've got a few time-saving hacks when it comes to mealtime preparation, meaning you can juggle family life with the children and cook a tasty, nutritious meal too. Okay, let's introduce you to my guest. Rich Summer has worked in the British meat industry for over 30 years and has gained an appreciation of the finest quality British livestock and game, along with an admiration for those who dedicate their time to producing it. Drawing upon his experience as a butcher, charcutier, I can never say that word. (laughs) (laughs) Slaughterman and occasional stockman. He has developed a forensic knowledge of ethically farmed and humanely slaughtered livestock and the importance of how this influences these factors influence meat quality and in turn a healthy and balanced human diet. Rich has now become a well-respected industry figure by using his vast knowledge of whole carcass butchery, which has allowed him to produce a range of innovative value-added products ranging from cured and cooked meats, pies and ready meals, smoked meat products, along with salamis and whole muscle air-dried meats. I first met Rich eight years ago when I attended a pig in a day course he was teaching. We've stayed in touch ever since and I'm delighted to welcome him to this podcast today. Hello, Rich. Hey, morning, Millie. How are you? you okay? <laughs> I'm all right. Are you? Good to see you. Yeah, very well. Very well. Thank you. Ace. Yeah. So tell me about your background. Um, where have you come from and where are you going? Okay, well, um, I'm a Leicester lad, born and bred. Not really from a rural background, really, sort of a bit more of an urban background, really quite a modest one. But I've always had a draw to the countryside in one way or another. Got caught messing about in the farmer's field on the way home from school when I was 13. And um, back in the 80s, uh, it was traditional to get a clip round the ear from the farmer. And then another one when you got dragged home to see your mum. The farmer and my mother conspired um, uh, to create me a little far, a little part-time job. So on the way home from school, um, I would go and feed around the sheep, pigs, etc., and do a little bit of... Um, a little bit of general general labouring around around the farm. Now it transpired that um, the guy that I was doing some work for had a brother who had a butcher shop and um, a slaughterhouse a- attached to it. Um, and I just basically rose up through the ranks, I suppose, as a washing up kid and worked in Lairidge and it progressed on from there to making sausages and so on and so forth. Um, they offered me the opportunity to um, do an apprenticeship um, about the age of 14. So they sort of started schooling me a little bit more whilst I was still at school. Left school at 16 and just worked my way up through uh, the business I was working with, um, probably till I was 19, 20. Then took some took some management positions on. So um, over the years, I've worked for catering butchers that supply things like pubs and restaurants. Uh, larger throughput meat plants uh, and so on, and uh, large supermarket meat and deli departments. Probably around about 15 to 16 years ago, um, I had left um, large throughput meat plants. The way that food production was going, the over-industrialisation of it just meant that we were on we were on piecework initially, so you get paid for it every four-quarter of beef you, you, you boned out. As the terms changed with that particular business, 
they then stop the piecework and put you on a salary um, and to sort of compensate for the fact that you probably weren't taking as much money home they allowed you to finish earlier so when the job was done you would go home um, that then created a chance for me to go out and do a little bit of cash in and work for farmers um, kind of breaking down carcasses for them and so on some of my farmers market set up and that reconnected me back to the land again and I thought do you know what this is this is this is for me uh, one of the people that I was doing a bit of part-time work for said stop messing about <laughs> doing this bit for me I'm going to set a farm shop shop up properly and and uh, I did that uh, unfortunately that job came to a finish after a couple of years due to one or two unforeseen circumstances I was unemployed fairly short notice and um, instead of going to the job centre I just knocked a few doors I said do you want a, a bit of help a couple of days a week from that they the freelance butchery service was born. It then transpired that because um, I've always been a student of kind of meat, meat tech and food farming, that sort of a thing. I sort of I knew a bit more than I thought I did. So offering advice, I found I could charge a, a little bit more for um, around the same sort of time. I was approached by the School of Artisan Food to to work as a technician um, on the newly formed um butchery and charcuterie course which I did one or two tutors on that course that um, uh, couldn't commit to the long-term teaching there unfortunately had to pull out and I ended up kind of teaching from experience I was then mentored by um, another tutor that I was working with there brilliant guy called Chris Morby who I'm still very good friends with now um, and he helped me develop kind of my own style if you like really so after that <sighs> I guess consultancy kind of took off the uh, demand for learning to produce charcuterie that um, uh, we developed probably about seven or eight years ago took off. So from there, um, I've been helping to set up new businesses from scratch. Um, I go into meat plants on, on occasion to help develop product ranges or improve efficiency. But generally, I'd like to work with... Um, smaller ethical producers um, and help them develop short, more profitable supply chains. Mm. But I've tried to cram into... <laughs> You've done a brilliant job. It's, it's quite diverse, but that's kind of... That's, yeah, that's no, no, you know, you've really painted a picture. Absolutely. No, you've really been on a journey and, um, you know, ethically produced meat is yeah. very much at the heart of what you do. And I mean, in terms of provenance, you know, mm. how important is that to you? It's critical, you know, and there's that old adage, you can't polish a turd. It's, <laughs> it is it is what it is, you know. I, I need to know, particularly for things like charcuterie and certainly salami, it's vital I know where it's from, how old it is, what it's been eaten on, uh, what, it's, what it's been fed on, what it's been finished on, how it's been dispatched, how it's been slaughtered, how old it is, what the pH levels of the, of the meat are and so on and so forth, which I can't get if I'm buying cuts of meat from a supermarket. You know, mm. I think supermarket meat, even if it's British, um, because of those long spurious supply chains can be, can be an awful lot older um, before they've even reached the supermarket shelf. So the problem with that is obviously the older the meat is, the less fresh it is the more of a reduced shelf life you've got to begin with. 
um, with that. So that's absolutely vital. I mean, Brit mm. British first and always British for me because, you know, I'm prepared to argue the case with anybody, but we have the most ethical livestock rearing, producing, most ethical slaughter system in the developed world, bar none. You know, mm. so animal welfare standards are up there. So, you know, if it's not been produced in Britain, it uh, doesn't go in my mouth or the kid's mouth or anything yeah. like that, you know. So that's that's uh, where we are with that. But vital to me. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But also on eating quality as well, isn't it? It's not a, Completely. you know, um, you know, you're looking at the whole carcass and then adding value, but also, sure. I mean, a lot of people are very price driven, aren't they? And, you know, I think in what you're trying to achieve as well, it's being able to make British produce accessible to everybody on all Completely. sorts of budget. Um, and I mean, yeah. in terms of your you, you know what what is the idea behind the new business because I see yeah. it and I interview lots of people that are producing on farm and need that little bit of extra help and I know yeah. you've told me a few stories about you know the difference that you can make in terms of yeah. the amount of money from a carcass it's a simple matter of of economics really I mean I wasn't great at maths when I was a kid and um, I still struggle a bit now um, <laughs> however during all these years and working up just about every level throughout throughout the whole of the supply chain, I mean, farmers that uh, produce beef animals now, I think, are getting around about a thousand pounds a carcass, something like that, revenue selling into kind of your larger processes. Now, if we're to take that forward a little bit further, so if I'm say a butcher, I've got a butcher shop, I buy a carcass of beef, it's going to cost me maybe fifteen hundred pounds. If I then cut that up into fresh meat cuts, my financial return, um, ensuring that my retail prices are affordable and in line with where they should be, I can probably look to return about £3,300 of financial return. Um, that's bearing in mind I sell every little bit of that of that carcass, which is difficult in this, in this day and age. There's a mm. desirability for certain sections more than others. Now, Fortunately, the bits that aren't massively popular, kind of the lesser premium steak cuts and kind of roasting joints and so on and so forth, are perfect for making value-added products with, right? Yeah. So um, if I am to, say, dry-age all of your prime steak meat, your usual suspects, your, your ribeyes, your sirloins, your rumps, fillets, etc., sell those at a reasonable price and take everything else and create a range of nutritionally balanced ready meals, charcuterie products, all manner of cooked and cured and everything else. The combined retail value of, of all of those items is somewhere in the region of £7,000. That's before we've even started to look at things like bone, bone broth and mm. rendered animal fats for then cooking, which we can also sell as well. And then again, mm. you know, I know it's not typically food, but that's before we've even looked at tanning of of uh, hides you know and yeah. all of that kind of thing as well yeah. so with those increased re returns you are able to sell to keep the retail prices reasonable affordable to a lot more people but along with that um in terms of processing you're going to need an awful lot more in the way of labor and yeah. higher skilled labor particularly when it comes to the production of things like you know, salami and muscle air dried meats, the understanding of, of food science and food tech and food safety is vital to that. So yeah. you, you then reach a point where not only is food available for an awful lot of people, but you're also 
increasing social mobility and the fact that you're creating higher paid jobs. And this will never be something that we can do kind of nationally. Now, these, this, in my opinion, has to happen kind of regionally. Mm-hmm. So farmers working together, and we were, we were having a bit of a discussion about cooperatives, which yep. can be a, li- a little bit of a scary word for, for some in farming, mm-hmm. I, I know. So I'm, I, I use the word sparingly. But, um, you know, there's, um, there's a efficiencies of scale when it comes to buying e- equipment or feed or kind of some, something, something like that. So, again, because of these in- increased um, uh, amounts of revenue, it does create an awful lot more in the way of opportunity. And what I'm aiming to do is I'm aiming to help small and medium-sized ethical and certainly regenerative farming systems mm. get to a point where they can be really, really profitable. I don't really like the way that some of the industry is going where organic or kind of regen is um, is an exclusive product. I think that that makes it a little elitist. And if we are looking to um, promote more ethical, regenerative forms of farming, um it needs to be the mainstream but yeah. if we're only selling to a small group of wealthy individuals um it's never going to be mainstream so really mm-hmm. all the answers are there for us i think yeah definitely and yeah like you say you don't want it to be an elitist product because no. then you're almost shaming uh working class uh, parents or you know people in general that you know what they're feeding their kids is muck and actually you know you want it to be accessible to everybody um yeah. and to be able to afford it and um you know when I, I know when I post and I say about backing British farming and buy British and eat local and things like that a lot of people say to me oh god I just you know I might be able to afford it once in a while yeah. I mean once in a while is absolutely fine but in case in terms of what you're trying to achieve is absolutely fantastic because it is bridging that gap between you know the rich and the and the not so and the, those that are scraping by to you know to, to be able to feed their family um so i think you know being able to provide uh good quality well raised animals that you know we know the full supply chain and we can be confident in that and it tastes really good as well i think that yeah. can only be a positive yeah completely you know yeah. i think i love what you're doing in terms of of your little broadcasts with making dishes you know making them more accessible for people to learn I think that's a fantastic thing Mm -hmm. and I also think that combining that with uh, producing convenience meals Mm. that don't have crap in Mm. that are nutritionally balanced you know we not only are we are we promoting British ethical farming you know we're also uh improving human health reducing Mm. the burden on the national health service so it's kind of it it, it, the kind of previous government i'm not going to make it political but (laughs) previous previous governments were kind of willing to allow crap into Mm. human diet Mm. and not say anything about it all i'm all i'm suggesting is we we remove it Mm. not say anything about it i mean i make i make things like turkey twizzlers and kind of meat dinosaur things with mm. with a breadcrumb on i've always done mm. that for the uh for the kids and if it's crunchy on the outside soft on the inside you can hide anything you like in it really <laughs> um it just saves all, all that battling during tea time so if we if we just remove all of that crap from him mm. and i like fast food mm. okay um so the idea is to live in live in a world where 
it is impossible to buy bad quality fast food mm. you know well we like i'm you know i'm a working class lad and you mm. know it's kind of as much as my mum uh fed us she also had to work you mm. know so uh, it wasn't uncommon for us to get to quick save and buy tubes of frozen pizzas it's just the way it was then you know yeah. um but uh, anyway, sorry, I'm waffling now. No, 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 no. Well, it, it kind of really sets the scene, absolutely. And 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 so now you're obviously um, supporting a, many independent businesses, not only in the East Midlands, but across the country, really, sort of providing them with a little bit of advice and support, going in on a consultancy basis, really, to sort of provide that. And, and also... I mean, one thing I talked to you about is that there's quite a lot of grants available out there as well to help assist with that as well. Yeah. And I think all of yeah. that yeah. is really, you know, up there and really a, a fantastic service that you can provide. Definitely. I think, you know, the, gra- the, the grants are great. And I think we touched on this last time we spoke. And I think yeah. kind of the, the realities of, um, I mean, fantastic getting a grant, uh, placing it on a farm or some buy some agricultural buildings fantastic mm. from my point of view probably the worst place to have a food production unit is near muck <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for yeah, yeah for food hygiene um, the second thing is that you know it, it, it will always be a second skill set so yeah. not not a primary skill set so you know farmers doing fantastic work farming brilliant ultimately you're either a kind of a farmer or you're a food producer and that's primarily what you should be I don't want to get into a situation where people become kind of jack of all of mm. all trades really yeah. I mean what I would like to do and I mean anybody that is looking um, towards grant funding it is sometimes a good idea for us to kind of express to you how much you'd expect to pay either a full-time butcher the volume that you would expect those guys or girls to produce in that period of mm. time to make that business to make that business profitable, yeah. which is what it comes down to. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Essentially, so I, I would like to see grant supplying agencies, if that's the right sort mm. of term for them, mm. uh, engaging with consultants, kind of meat industry mm. consultants, mm. you know, prior prior yeah. to. And I think it's there's an awful lot of good things. It's just linking them up yeah. I think is, is what's being missed. And I think, you know, particularly from the point of view of, I mean, everybody's really well aware of, of the fantastic work that, that farmers do. But there's real, there really is uh, very little understanding of how that wonderful raw material gets onto shelves mm. or your sort of plate. Even when you're seeing kind of social media, you know, thank thank your farmer for what you're eating there's quite a few other people mm. that are involved in because i mean you know as much as i love cattle you know they do they do behave a little better when you're trying to eat them if they've been processed mm. yeah be a bit chewy and a bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah so it, it, it is it is sort of looking and 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 um and just creating those those links between the various different um mm. 
sections of that of that of that supply chain yeah, a little definitely bit more. definitely and also the, also the equipment is actually really expensive and yeah. i know from coming on your courses just the importance of having decent knives and decent equipment and things because yeah. i know you can just sort of whiz online and buy any old you know anything but actually it's a real investment and you know if you buy cheap you buy twice don't you and i mean on my kind of wish list i always remember it when i came on your smoking and curing course at on my Christmas list every year is a Bradley smoker oven. Um, <laughs> but they're an amazing piece of kit. I don't know how often I'd use one and they're a lot of money, but it's kind of like, that would be really cool to have that. <laughs> Definitely. I, th- I mean, I'm working with a Rutland based company that specialise in, um, in carcass cut-ups for farmers. So your carcass will go into either Joseph Morris Abattoir or into mm. Grantham Abattoir. It then gets delivered up to the site up in Rutland. The guys there, with my help currently, uh, cut it up to your specifications, bag it for you, label it for you, and then whoever owns the carcass then sells it on for, for mm. financial gain. So what we're also looking to do now um, is to offer a couple of other services because it is quite a transition to go from ground zero you know realistically speaking if you're going to create um, a meat business even a modest sized meat business that's going to be profitable uh the initial capex on that can be you know 80 to 100 000 pounds for a modest unit so mm. to go straight from nothing to that you've got to know what you're doing um with the guys up at lawn farm foods we're able to help people transition into that mm. so as I mentioned, you know, you can put your carcass in one end. It can come out another packed and ready to go for you to sell on. We can then take sections of that carcass. We can start to help you develop charcuterie products, cooked meat products, built on bacon, whatever it is, yeah, you know, from yeah. that. You, you can start to have that back. We can also then come on site and ad- advise you how to build your own premises. We can white label an element of those products for you whilst you take a little bit more of that butchery in-house as well. Mm. We can help you talk, we can help talk you through that. And of course, we can we can also come on come on site and actually teach you those 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 specific skills. So I've encountered quite quite a few problems over, over the years. Um we've always resolved them. So this is mm. just really a culmination of sorting out problems before they've come one if you like yeah 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 yeah, definitely and I mean let's talk a bit about the end product then so what do you enjoy cooking um you know what do you what what do you like to cook what's your favorite dish okay well it's funny we're having a a discussion um with um a doctor friend of mine Dr Rizwan fantastic runs the ICAT clinic and there's a they have a practice over in over in Leicester and we we do tend to talk about food and it and its relationship to to functional health as well he was telling me i i was under the impression that our sort of genetics if you like influenced our our taste and therefore after that influenced your gut microbiome but it's, mm-hmm. it's the other way around right um now so i'm my father's polish my father's a polish refugee um my mom's from middle of leicester but we were kind of raised a little bit on a lot of Polish food as well as English mm-hmm. stuff, you know, which was which was quite rare back in the 1970s and 80s. Mm. But I like kind of hearty, long cooked things like pot roasts, a lot of pork, pork products. I like 
I eat a lot of cabbage, which you could argue is quite an Eastern European thing. Mm. Lots of bacon, as you can imagine, smoked meats and so on. But I think for me, a bit of pot roast brisket of beef or or sh- or shin of beef in the piece is just a beautiful thing. And yes. uh, just in a pot with a couple of cans of tomatoes, it doesn't have to be difficult. Uh, chop a few onions up, plenty of garlic. Again, this is the Eastern European thing, I think. <laughs> plenty of garlic in there, mushrooms. And it doesn't get worse as long as it doesn't dry out. You can leave that in there for hours and hours and hours. Mm. It just gets better. And really, it's kind of the ultimate fast food. You know, yeah. I mean, if, if you've got a bit of time on Sunday, you do a lot more than just enough for one for one meal. All you need to do then is just come in the next the next few nights and and reheat it. Yeah. And once you get fed up with stew, then. If you stick it in a pastry case, it becomes a pie filling. It just goes on and on and on. And yeah. I think, you know, it's a real economic way of uh, of uh, cooking. So mussels that have done a bit of work, so you can keep your fillet steaks. It doesn't taste of anything for me. You know, it's got to have it's got to have done something for a living. You know, that's what creates flavour. You know, you typically find high levels of collagen rich connective tissue in those in those pieces as well, which are really good mm. for for human function as well. They tend to be a little bit higher in protein as well. So you, you're getting a real bang for your buck with those with mm. those sorts of things. And they're so cheaper, aren't they? Com- completely, you know, mm. really are. And it's just having that bit of a knowledge. And I think it's it sort of, it's a little bit easier for me because a lot of the crossover that I've done sort of moves into kind of hospitality and, and sort of mm. cookery. So it's a, a little bit easier for me to get my head around. And because I've produced an awful lot of product, I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler mm. in the kitchen at home. <laughs> it needs to be done properly. But it's just learning some very simple techniques of getting yourself organised. Mm. Not everything has to be prepared on the same day. You can do mm-hmm. elements of that thing, and it just makes everything a little bit – I believe they call it mise en place. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's horrible <laughs> in a Leicester accent. Well, <laughs> it? Basically means a bit of pre, pre-prepping, pre I think, believe. Yeah. Um, but just getting that organised, um, mm. and you know, pretty much you can you can sort out your meals for a week just on a couple of cooks. Yeah, some yeah, definitely. Jacket potato. You could probably yeah. put it through pasta as well, couldn't you? Yeah, Absolutely. easy. It's it really, just, really it is easy. very simple, humble food, and you can feed an army. And and also, what's also really um, good is that even if like you know, if you're a busy family and you're not always eating together you know, one of you could come in and eat and then the rest of you can eat later because it's just there. You don't have to make several meals or what have yeah. you. It's great. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. So how can people get in touch with you and find out more? Uh, well, there is a website. I mean, it's it's great that you got in touch with me at the beginning of the year because uh, I've been waiting for quite a lot of years for people to kind of remedy um this broken food supply chain and and inequality and everything else. Nobody's done it yet. So um, I'm having to to kind of step up and uh, share some of the solutions that I think will work. So um, there is a website. Um, We're going to look a little bit more towards um, getting out there on social media. I know you're going to give us some assistance with this, Millie, as well. So. But yeah, so the uh, website, you can, you can get me through the website. So it's um, uh, www.summersandco forward slash. Um, you can get to us uh, via that. Or I'm also on Instagram, uh, not so much on Facebook now. I have to admit, IT is not my first 
primary skill set. So um, you can get to me or just or just give me a ring. Yeah. Um, if I don't pick the phone up, I'm either at the wrong end of an animal or I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of covered in something which um, prevents me operating a touchscreen phone. I will get back to you. But yeah, I mean, so the phone number and the email address uh, are all on the website. So um, uh, if you'd like to to get in touch, then please do. But I'm I'm really keen to connect with a lot more people this year that that uh, that share these share this ethos you know in particular i'm looking to connect with um, either existing food food colleges or businesses that i would like to look to towards developing uh, more of a formal butchery charcuterie college to get a lot more people skilled up mm. you know i've got we've got quite a few people without jobs here and then we've got a huge skills gap in the sector here and it's mm. not beyond the witter man that we can Anyway. definitely definitely no absolutely well rich's handle is on insta it's summers rich so you can find him he's got some great photos on there anyway and um, no i'm i'm gonna look forward to sort of helping you with Thanks, that Mary. side of the business that'll be fab um okay so we've got some time saving hacks that you can all try at home i'm always multitasking in the kitchen i've got the kids around my ankles I'm making pat lunches, I'm taking calls to my business and I'm getting the dinner ready at the same time. You can imagine it. I recently came across this little gadget, which has been a revelation to me. I'm not sure what the official name for it is, but it's basically a silicon lid that you put on top of your pans and it prevents the boil over or the splatters. Um, I've always found when I put my saucepan lid on, pasta, potatoes, it always boils over and it makes the kitchen smell horrendous um it's got like a little flower valve on the top which allows the water to kind of seep through and it doesn't boil over and it's been a great time saving hack for me because I can multitask without having to sort of basically hover over the hob in case the pots boil over and it costs me about eight quid and I use it several times a week so for me I'm a big fan so Okay. I love I love a few gadgets I do um and I posted it's funny actually because I posted about it on Instagram this little um the thing and it's had like 20,000 views or something and wow. it, you know, it's just like a little <laughs> silly little gadget but I mean honestly it's really helped me to kind of um yeah multitask because I think I never I suppose the down you know because the children are young the downside is I never have the time I would like to prepare a meal um so it just kind of got loads of things on the go at the same time um but anyway that's just me (laughs) in season right now lamb lovely lovely lamb at home we are currently in the midst of lambing we've got 300 use of lamb and it's a 24 hour day job to look after everything traditionally around easter time everyone looks to eat some lamb but farmers that are dedicated and brave enough will lamb around christmas time to serve the easter market we supply three butcher's shops in the area, including Joseph Morris, and our sheep are grazed on grass 365 days of the year. I like to cook a joint of lamb in the bottom oven of our ever hot cooker, low and slow, as they say. Stick it in on a Sunday morning and serve it at tea time. Beautiful. So if we have roast potatoes, cook with rosemary, sea salt and rapeseed oils and veggies. You can't beat it. How does that sound, Rich? 
That sounds bang on. Yeah, you had <laughs> me at low and slow and lamb. So yeah, fine. oh, it's just beautiful. It's one of those meats that I, you know, is so you know, is is perhaps not on vogue as it were, but it's, it's so versatile, isn't it? Um, yeah, now it's beautiful. Completely. I'd like to ask ev- something of everyone at home listening. Who would you like to hear from next on the podcast? What ingredients are you having difficulty getting hold of? What do you enjoy cooking? Drop me a DM on social media, on my social media channels. Uh, you can follow me on my page, No Fuss Meals of Busy Parents, or email me at hello at millie5.com. I'd love to hear from you. Um, it's just really nice to get feedback, to get suggestions, rather than it just being all about, you know, the people that I know, or, um, you know, it's just it's just nice to have a build that community. That's all we've got time for today. Don't forget to tune into the next episode of the Countryside Kitchen Meets on the first of each month. You can subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms. Thank you so much, Rich, for joining me. It's been oh, amazing. Thank you for asking. It's always lovely to talk to you. Yeah, it's well, nice. it's, I mean, I could talk to you all day because I think we well, just bounce off of each other, don't we? Because, brilliant. you know, there's so much we've got in common. Um, and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what magic you can do with food and farming businesses around the country because yeah yeah Yeah. i think it's going to be wonderful so perfect brilliant all right thank you so much thank you okay bye